Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Erin Summers, joined by John DeShazer. The 8-8 eight and eight Saints are in Atlanta this weekend for a matchup with our NFC South rival, the Falcons. The game kicks off at 325 on Fox, and we all know this is a big game, playoff implications here. A win by the Saints and a loss by the 49ers to the Rams gives the Saints the conference's seventh playoff spot and sets up a road matchup at the Rams for that wild card weekend. So lots of stuff in play this weekend. Couple games we're gonna be keeping an eye on ours and then that 49ers Rams game as well. John, looking at what's at stake this weekend, is there a game that gets bigger than this in the regular season? No, I mean, because, you know, now it's suddenly, it, for the Saints, it's essentially sudden death. I mean, you know, yeah. and not necessarily, not totally winning in because they need some help, but mm-hmm. you get in unless you win. Uh, and the Saints haven't been in that position in a few years. I mean, to, beginning with the 2017 season, they won four consecutive division titles. And at the end of the season, by this time, they were jockeying for position. You know, can they get the one seed? Is it going to be the two seed? you know, three seed, but they were in. Uh, now it, it's, you know, if you don't win, you're definitely out. Uh, if you do win, you still might be out because, you know, you're depending on some help from somebody else, but, you know, all you can do is handle your business. And so at least they're in that position. So you know, from that standpoint, it, it's it's fun. It's exhilarating. Uh, you wish they were already in, uh, but man, they hadn't been in this fight in quite some time. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it Sunday. Yeah, definitely a lot of emotions going into this one. And and hopefully the Saints are able to use them the right way. I know it's even more heightened going against your rival. So it'll be a fun one to watch. Everyone's going to be flipping back and forth between the other game that's on at the same time. It didn't do us any favors. It's going to be, you know, kind of following both of these games right up into the last second. Um I don't know. I'm looking forward to it for sure. And to help us talk about this rivalry matchup, to talk about the game against the Falcons, we're going to bring in former Saints offensive tackle played from 2003, 2010. It's a pro bowler 2009 season when they won the Super Bowl as well in John Stinchcomb. John, thanks so much for joining us on the New Orleans Saints podcast this morning. It's great to talk to a former Saint as always, somebody that's very familiar with this rivalry we have coming up this weekend. The stakes could not be higher. How are you doing? I'm great. I, you know, I live in Atlanta, so I'm surrounded by people who every once in a while claim to be Falcons fans. Nobody's a real <laughs> Falcons fan, right? But there's a few that have like a T-shirt or a hat buried in a closet that they pull out every once in a while when the team's doing good. So I've been giving them grief uh, for quite some time, and I'm really looking forward to the game this weekend. You probably know about the feelings between these two teams better than anybody growing up in that area and then playing for the Saints. If you could kind of just describe the the rivalry, what is the motivation behind it and kind of how everybody feels coming into this one? Sure. Well, I, growing up, uh, you know, we're in college football country in the state of Georgia. It's It's all dog country. And then every once in a while, there are some fans that uh, – will change their red and black to Falcons gear on Sunday. So I didn't really understand the significance of um, this rivalry until I was playing for the Saints. And you realize that it gets it's pretty passionate, especially from, from the Houdat side, and rightfully so. I mean, it's, it's an in-division in rival, and 
there have been some really good battles, but uh, this is one that's really important for this Saint season, and and you want to cap the year off right and going up and into the lion's den of your your biggest rival is a great way to finish this regular season the saints are planning a takeover there in atlanta so you're going to have to see a lot of black and gold around the area it's going to be interesting to see how they can pack out the mercedes benz arena there because Mm -hmm. i know they're planning on it yeah you know I've, i've been to a number of the games now that uh i live here and i'll rock my black and gold and i'll tell you it is I'm not alone. There's a large contingent of Houdat Nation that comes and fills that dome every time we play in Atlanta. And it's a thing of beauty to me. And it's frustrating. And I'll send pictures to all my buddies who who live in town because, you know, it's it's if one, the seats aren't always filled in Atlanta, and that's a news to me, right? You when you're in the Superdome, that place is packed out and it's loud and it's fun. And you come and you play in Atlanta and, you know, over half the stadium is wearing black and gold. And man, I love it. I love it. One, you know, when the teams are both playing good ball, um, it's about a 50-50 split. And I'm sure part of it's because of the number of folks that have commuted over post-Katrina, but also the way that Saints fans travel. And this is one that I know a lot of fans over the years who I've spoken with that say, um, this is one of their pilgrimages that they make on an annual basis when they follow the team to away games. Are you going to be there this weekend? You know what? I'm flying up to Indianapolis. Otherwise, I would be, but um, I'm heading to the national championship uh, to root on my dogs. Yeah, there you go. That's not a bad reason to miss the game. Hopefully, they do well for you there. Coach Payton doesn't use the term must win lightly and he says he's he doesn't say it often because there's a lot of things that go in to an entire season but when you get to the playoffs when you get to these situations where yeah you have to win this game to get to the tournament when you hear your coach say something like that how does that make you feel as a player and how does that change how you approach the game oh I think it's a mentality I think you you recognize that when you're playing um and with everything on the table, like a playoff situation that um, it increases your focus, you're, you're, you're more dialed in to what's happening and you know the urgency of the situation, uh, not just in the game, but in practice and preparation for that week, because, uh, you know, it's, it's win and you, you got a chance to keep playing. And if you don't, you know, that door is closed and you're cleaning out your locker and, and figuring out what the next steps are for your off season. And, you know, it, it, Everybody enjoys the offseason, but you don't want it to come, especially when you have a chance to keep playing. And, and the grit and determination and, and just fortitude that this team has shown through all the adversity, whether it's injuries or COVID or uh, just the challenges that this season has thrown at them, for them to find a way to still be in the hunt and playing in, in, in the final week of the season and it matter. I think it's a testament to the dedication and focus that this team uh, possesses, and it's a special group. Well, Stinch, on a scale of 10, your petty this morning is about 25. <laughs> Always appreciate that. Always yeah. appreciate that. Um, you've seen these Saints play some this season. What's been, I guess, the underlying thing for the offense? Because we knew it was not going to be the same offense anyway without Drew Brees, of course. And especially, you know, you take away Drew Brees, you take away Michael Thomas. Now suddenly – um, it's a totally different unit. W- what's been the thing about this offense? And has it been kind of close to being 
what it could be without those players? Uh, you know, sadly, I don't think so. I think the defense has really had to rally and, and carry the water for the majority of the season. And it's because of the adversity. You talk about the injuries. Well, you know, you're replacing one of the best, if not the best quarterback obviously that this organization has ever seen, but in the modern era of football, what Drew Brees was able to do was exceptional and trying to uh, replace that, not just from a playmaking position of quarterback, but what he brings to the locker room was going to be a challenge. And I think uh, the saints had, had established the organization as a whole had established um, leadership that could absorb that kind of loss as well as could be expected. But when you have the injuries, when, when Winston goes down and then uh, Taysom was dealing with injuries before Jameis was and uh, just the challenges behind the offensive line, which you knew was going to be one of the strong suits, and all of a sudden you lose Teron and Ramchek and McCoy for a number of weeks and you've had guys really have to step up. I think that's what's defined this season is the ability to, to tap into some of that depth not out of necessity. I mean, you didn't want to go there, but you've needed to go there. Starting the season without Michael Thomas and, and then realizing at some point he wasn't going to be available, that's a huge loss. And, and really putting the weight on Kamara and, and the rest of that unit um, and having lost him for a couple of weeks. I mean, it's been a really uh, challenging year for you to just find 11 guys that you feel very confident in that you can you can put in that forefront and I think the Saints have done a great job of just mitigating the the losses that they've incurred and uh, none less important than that front line I mean it, you know if if you don't have your starting quarterback if you lose your running back for for a couple of weeks if you don't have your number one wide receiver you hope that at least you're going to have that unit that five strong across the board pro bowl unit, but that hasn't been the case. So the ability for the saints to step in and step up and find plug and play players, um, it's been a real challenge. You know, I think it's, I'm not bad mouthing anyone to say that there's been a little bit of a drop off there, but the, the resiliency of this group to see where their opportunities are and still find a way to be in that playoff hunt, I think speaks volumes of the culture that's created in that locker room. You mentioned the defense and having to carry the water this season. I think everybody knows, knows it has uh, specifically Cam Jordan, uh, NFC defensive player of the week for the second time in three weeks, uh, seven and a half sacks in three games, which is probably the best stretch of his season in, in terms of that statistic. Um, what about him makes him him? Well, it, one, he's a tireless worker. I think the amount of uh, energy he puts into practice and preparation uh, throughout the offseason of getting his body right and keeping his body in a position where you're at the end of a very long season, a 17-game season that's new to most folks, and um, you still find a way to create that energy. I mean, he's a guy that plays with an incredible amount of power. He recognizes situations exceptionally well. He plays the run game as well as he does the pass game, which is almost a rarity these days where, you know, guys are focused on just one singular number and that's the sack statistic. But yet he's a guy that um, not only is he an incredible leader for that locker room and that defense specifically, 
but he's a he's he's still producing at such a high level. And usually with a, a guy at his point in his career, you start to see drop off. You see, you know, more maintenance. And that's not what we've seen. These past few weeks have been exceptional. As you say, some of the best in his career. You know, look at seven and a half sacks, six over two weeks. I mean, really playing at a high level. And I think that it speaks to the maturity of that entire locker room. Uh, you know, at each level, you got Cam at the D-line, you got DeMario and the linebackers and Malcolm Jenkins and company, uh, Marshawn included, in that secondary of guys that have been in this program, been in this system a long time, and are uh, totally understanding of what what is expected of them. Each time that you see that loss, whether it's on their side of the ball or the offense for the Saints, they recognize that's more weight that they have to carry and they step up and answer that bell. And I, you know, I, I think that just speaks to the culture that they create, that the leaders of that locker room have created that have brought the saints to this position where they're still in that playoff hunt, despite all that adversity that we've talked about for the last 10 minutes. You know, I've got to circle back to that offensive line because obviously, you know, you're an offensive lineman. That's kind of your area of expertise. How, how difficult is it? to continue to cycle in people and, and try to get a cohesive unit? Oh, it's huge. It's a huge challenge just because each guy has different strengths, right? I mean, it, when you start with the same five, you kind of learn what guys are good at, what, what plays we really want to focus on, uh, which, you know, in, in crunch situation, what do I like? What do I want to go to? Do I want to run behind Ramcheck? Do I want to try to get Teron in space? You know, you've got guys that you know their tool set and you know how they complement one another. When you start subbing in not only one piece, but literally it seems like all five at one given point have had to either rotate or sub out. I mean, the ability of Hurst and, and Throckmorton to come in and play the, the way that they have has been incredible. But it creates a lot of challenge. I think none more so than the, the play caller. If you're trying to figure out in those crunch situations, whether it's you know, we need a first down or we need short yardage or we're, we're trying to um, just push the ball down the field because, you know, we're in these tight games where three points, four points is going to make the difference. Um, having a, a, a rotation of guys throughout this season up front, it's a real struggle. It's a challenge um, to try to create that, that cohesion. You know, you, all, all season long, you're trying to get five guys on the same page. And when you've subbed as many out as the saints have, um, it's an incredibly difficult situation to be in. You know, I was listening to one of the statistics that, you know, the saints have started, you know, north of 53 players, which is how many you have on a roster, which is incredible. You know, every, every person's a starter now. And it, I think it just shows, um, you know, the challenges that they faced and just their ability to persevere. You know, Coach Payton, probably as well, certainly better than we do, but of more more than most people. How does he handle adverse con conditions such as these this season? Well, I, I think you're seeing his his genius, and part of that I think is creating a culture in a locker room. You have to find the right guys. You can always incorporate one or two knuckleheads as long as it doesn't sour the entire batch, right? But what, what I think Coach Payton and really Mickey Loomis and that entire management staff, what they recognized is when you lose one of the voices that has carried this team for so long, like they did with Drew, 
they have already created, and this goes back years, a, a culture of leadership that they can lean on. Uh, having Cam Jordan and his consistency, the voice of DeMario, the voice of Malcolm, I think that consistency is what what you really lean on in times like this. So, so I'd start there. One is, is the organization recognizing the importance of strong leadership in that locker room, which I'm giving credit to Coach Payton and that entire organization for recognizing. Two, in the moment, seeing the adversity, I think you're, you're witnessing Coach Payton having to, to adjust and change game plans, change uh, really just approaches to the game that you normally would see just because of what's available. That's not easily done. I think any coach across the country at any level would say, you know, this is what we'd like to do, right? And you go into a season, you go into game, this is what we'd like to do. It's hard to change that. It's hard to change and say, well, we need to be something a little bit different, especially um, over this season with the adversity that they faced. You, quarterbacks, wide receivers, just overall injury and health and availability. That's hard to do to, to make those adjustments. And the Saints have been able to do that. And Coach Payton deserves the lion's share of the credit for, for getting his team prepared each week to be focused on um, – what they need to do, what it's going to take for that week for them to be successful. Because the, the, the bar has been moved almost on a weekly basis of, of the approach and um, just tactics that the Saints have employed in order to come away with a win. If you look at game one to week 18, that's almost a, a, a 180 in what they are wanting to do and, and what their recipe for success is. And, you know, the, the, uh, honor and credit needs to go to, to the leadership of that team. And it starts with coach Payton. You've talked about having to make adjustments throughout the season, but within a game, the saints seem to have started slow in these games and been able to make the adjustments in the end of the game. And you talk about the last game against Atlanta, they score 18 points in the fourth quarter to almost come back in this game and take a victory. How difficult is it to, make those kinds of in-game adjustments and how impressed have you been about the Saints' ability to do it this year? Well, I, I think we have um, a staff that has worked together for as long as they've had. Um, and that really plays well in games where you need to make adjustments. I mean, the NFL, the margin of error is so minuscule that you're constantly, you know, you've got to play at 60 minutes and the Saints understand that. I think that's why you see them uh, battling and scrapping uh, when they had the lead and, and obviously when they were down against Atlanta and finding ways to come back because um, there's always opportunities. And as, as long as there's time on that clock, they're finding ways um, to create an advantage, which is, you know, what, what every team is doing, but it's hard to do. And I think that's what separates, you know, the teams that you look at their roster and you go, boy, they've got some, some studs. They've got some horses in the stable but yet they can't seem to find a way to win. Well, I think it has a lot to do with the adjustments and uh, the focus and the way that this, uh, any coaching staff, but the way the Saints have gained an advantage is they recognize um, the tactics that are, that are being used across from them and are able to process that information in a productive way. I mean, there's a lot of times where you get in a game and you're going, well, this isn't exactly what we expected or the, not the situation we expected to be in. 
so what? What can you do about that? Now that you have that information, now that you recognize what's happening, are you capable of making those adjustments and, and utilizing that information? Most teams, I would say average teams can't make those adjustments. They just don't have uh, the processing ability to say, not only do I recognize what's happening, but I know the answer uh, to the test. I know the solution that'll get us uh, out of the, the quagmire that sometimes a team will find itself in. And, uh, you know, because of the, the brains, brain trust on the sidelines and in the booth for the Saints, I think you see week in and week out their ability to try to adjust and make the changes that are necessary, especially in game. You follow the team throughout the season, obviously familiar with Atlanta. What is it going to take? What's the answer to the test this weekend? Well, uh, you know, Atlanta is one of those teams that's your biggest rival and their play, they, they will consistently play their best ball against New Orleans. I, you know, the first time you go up on paper, it was a slam dunk, right? I mean, the Saints should have won that game and all of a sudden you come in and Atlanta's playing inspired ball and you're like, this isn't the same team that we saw for the previous two weeks or the two weeks after for that matter. So you just recognize that anytime you go up against your rival, they're going to play their best. And, um, you know, there's more obviously on the table for New Orleans, but for Atlanta, you know, because of the rivalry, they want to play the spoiler role. So for the Saints, I think it's, it's you know, limiting the big plays, right? So Atlanta still has that capability of, of making those splash plays limiting those big plays, keep it close and, and do what we've been doing the past few weeks of taking advantage of those opportunities, limiting the, the big play success, keeping that score low, relying solely on your, not solely, but primarily on your defense. And then, you know, scoring when you're given that opportunity, obviously uh, protecting that ball is going to be a big key this weekend. Stench, I would be derelict and embarrassed if I didn't do this. Okay. Do your Georgia Bulldogs have that kryptonite in their suitcase? Do they do they have it? Can they do it? You know what? We got to stop the eight, right? There's stop the hate. We got to stop the eight because if we lose to Alabama again, it will be eight times in a row, JD. Eight times. I can't take it. So Ooh. we're we're uh, we're gonna finally find the right recipe. I think not having Mechie is gonna be a big deal for that Alabama offense. And you know, maybe maybe if we try to not have as many busted coverages like we did in the SEC championship, that, that would probably help us a little bit. So uh, I, I think we finally uh, finally slay the giant, if you will, and come away with that natty for the first time in 40 years, 40 years. So it'll be a good thing. I can see that you're, you're definitely keeping track of your Bulldogs, and I appreciate the enthusiasm for the Saints and for them as well. Looking back on your Saints career, just any story that you want to share that stands out to kind of just close this podcast up? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm from outside of Atlanta. I'm a Georgia guy. So every time you play in Atlanta, there's more friends and family that, that pay attention to the game. So you know, during during my era, we had John Abraham, who, in my opinion, was one of the best pass rushing defensive ends in the league. I mean, it, you talk about some really talented players in the era of, you know, I'm going up against like a Jason Taylor and Julius Peppers, uh, Mario Williams, Michael Strahan, uh, Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney in Indianapolis. I mean, you're talking about some really great defensive ends in that era. And John Abraham 
I think he had a claim to being one of the best, if not the best pass rushers of, of that decade, of that era that he played in. And so every time we'd go up against Atlanta, I just knew there would be more opportunities for friends and family that probably don't always watch Saints games for them to send that, you know, nasty text of like, oh, I saw you hold, I saw you, <laughs> I saw you give up that sack. So it's just extra motivation for me in those games. And, you know, uh, it was always a, a big battle, but that's what you expect in these rivalry games is, uh, you know, quite the contest and their best effort. But, you know, I, I'm much more appreciative, Aaron, of talking about football at this point than having to worry about the nightmares of the world, like John Abraham trying to prevent him from sacking the hundred million dollar man behind you. So uh, it, it's a much easier, much more stress-free situation now that I'm just, you know, as JD said, looking uh, rough and ragged, but it's uh, it, it's good to watch the saints and, and hopefully we come through with this big win and, and head into the playoffs. Hey, don't sell yourself short. I think, JD said handsome as well. Handsome and rugged. <laughs> handsome and rugged is what I said. Handsome yeah. and rugged. Well, well, I didn't want to throw that out there, Aaron, because people will start questioning his credibility at this point, but <laughs> I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been enjoyable listening to you, your take on the Saints, this game coming up. We're all looking forward to it. And good luck to your Bulldogs as well. Hey, well, thanks, Aaron, and who dat. I look forward to two wins this weekend uh, for both my teams. Thanks so much to John for joining us on the podcast. Uh, JD, you mentioned it. I mean, he was did not hide his feelings for the Falcons and for their fan base. It was really funny, subtle, but it was funny. Yeah, Stitch is, I mean, Stitch is a, a really, really witty guy. And, you know, along with that wit comes a whole lot of pity, and he doesn't mind it <laughs> around. And I like it. I'm all for it. You know, we we've done preseason games to get together. Remember Stinch as a player and um, one of the smartest guys you'll ever find. So that, you know, if, if there's a battle of, of intelligence with fans, Stinch is going to win. <laughs> He's going to dig. And so I wouldn't want to be his neighbor in, in, in the Atlanta area because anybody who comes at him, they're going to get the full blast from him. It was good to hear his perspective on the offensive line and the struggles that they've had this season very familiar with what it takes to perform at a high level in that position and, and how difficult it's been for this team as far. I mean, last week we were out the four starters on the offensive line and they still were able to step up and perform it. It's been an unreal season and the adversity just even in that one position group has been huge. Yeah. People, I don't want to say fans because I think a lot of people get caught up in the the belief that you can just plug and play mm-hmm. um, goes down. You can just put in another guy and you can keep it, keep it rolling to keep them. In. It's not that easy. It's just not that easy. I mean, when people say next man up and it's a great mantra, it's a great slogan. It fills up t-shirts and, and it's wonderful, but there's a reason the guy is the next man. It's because he's not as good as the guy who's in front of him. And so you take a little bit of a step back when you have to go to the next man. And now you got to see if you can play to his strengths. And the Saints have done it well enough to get to eight and eight and well enough to put themselves in position to get to to the playoffs. But, man, it's just not as easy to plug and play as people believe. And especially, as Finch said, on the offensive line where you're just trying to get a cohesive unit together. You're working with the five guys. And now all of a sudden the Saints might be working on the 15th and 18th guys, 
you know, in that rotation. So it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult than, than you believe. And it's a tribute to, to what they've been able to, to do so far in terms of getting that unit together to be in this position. Yeah, Stinch mentioned it. He said over 53 different starters. I think that it's 56-57 for the Saints yeah. this season. It, an incredible a number to even think about having to, as you said, plug and play different people in and still try to perform at an elite level. It's going to be fun this weekend. We're looking for a Saints takeover in Atlanta. So if you're coming out to the game, make sure you're wearing your black and gold and all the other stuff that comes along with it. Some of these outfits that these fans come up with on a weekly basis, it's so impressive. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of the fans out there, what they're wearing. We'll talk about it in the pregame show. That'll be about an hour before things kick off in Atlanta on NewOrleansSaints.com with John DeShazer and myself. So we'll show you some of the fans, some of the hoopla going on there. Of course, we have another podcast this Friday, getting ready for the matchup up until the bitter end there. And before we let you go, definitely have to give a nod to one of our sponsors in Terminex, locally owned for over 70 years. They'll fix your pest and terminite problems. They have effective solutions that will help, help to eliminate pest problems throughout the year. Their custom treatments adapt to the season to address seasonal pest activity to protect your home and business all year long. They provide residential, commercial, pest, and termite control services for the South Shore, North Shore, and River Parishes of Louisiana. Protect your home with Terminex. And we're gonna go take over the Falcons home this weekend in Atlanta. John, you enjoy it. I know you'll be on hand there. Hopefully you'll be wearing your black and gold. Of course, of course. <laughs> and we, in fact, take a little Terminex with us and spray it on the Falcon sideline before the game. There See you go. Do a little exterminating over there before the game even starts. All right, well, we will keep that between <laughs> us, okay? <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you to Stinch for joining us today. That's been another edition of the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek.